The scripture for today is Psalm 131. It's a song of ascent, specifically of David. My heart is not proud. Lord, my eyes are not haughty. I do not concern myself with great matters or things too wonderful for me. But I have calmed and quieted myself. I am like a weaned child with its mother. Like a weaned child, I am content. Israel, put your hope in the Lord, both now and forevermore. Thank you, Zach. Good morning, everyone. Can we give a hand to all of our volunteers who have set up and come here early? Some of you applauded yourself. Um, so grateful for you. Um, we're a multicultural church that loves to share hope, the hope of Jesus, the hope of community, and the hope of new life. And uh, we are before we're a service. You've heard me say this before. Before we're a service or before we're a building, we're a people. And we have the opportunity to build and strengthen our community today over a meal. And I hope you could stick around after that uh, to encourage one another. Uh, so we could all probably point to things last year that we missed whenever the city shut down. If you've been here for a while, or if you're familiar with New York City, there are probably things that you missed whenever everything shut down. For example, you probably missed going to the park, Central Park, or uh, the River State Park here, pretty close, close by, Riverbank Park? Riverbank Park, sorry. I haven't been there very often, as you can tell. Um, maybe missed people watching, probably missed uh, going to restaurants and cafes and sitting there, same day delivery. Right? That was tough, not having that anymore. Um, one thing that I missed, one of, the things that, one of the things that I just love about the city, was the energy and the hustle, the vibe, the pace of the city. I missed it. I mean, if you, you know what it's like when you're on time, you still walk like you're 20 minutes late to something, right? And you get irritated as if people are in your way. And I missed that, actually. Uh, but sometimes, in the city that never sleeps, that energy is the result of restlessness because people feel like they're not being enough or doing enough or having enough. And in that sense, we ought to model something different than what the city is used to. We ought to model a, a non-anxious presence. Yes, there's an energy to the city. There's a hustle to the city. But we ought to live and move without restlessness in our hearts. So as you know, last week or two weeks ago, we started a series called the Psalms of New York, where we explore specific psalms that speak to our experiences as New Yorkers. And if you are restless today, I hope the psalm that Zach read for you will bring rest to your soul. But before we do that, I want you to think about the last time you experienced restlessness. It may be something that you're experiencing this morning. Or maybe it's something in the past, but you're over it. But don't worry, it's only a matter of time before that situation will arise again. Think back to the last time you experienced some kind of restlessness. And as we explore this psalm, I hope two things will happen. The first, that we will embrace our limits. We will embrace our limits. As Zach said, this psalm is part of a series of psalms called the Psalm of Ascents. It was written by David. This is what people would sing together as they collectively made their way to Jerusalem. The community would sing this together. 
And as they would sing the psalm of ascents, they would also reflect upon their redemption from slavery in Egypt. And so this again is written by David, perhaps in the middle of his life, and maybe even when he's a king. And notice what he writes and that they would sing on their way to Jerusalem. I'm going to start reading from verse 1. My heart is not proud, Lord. My eyes are not haughty. I do not concern myself with things, with great matters or things too wonderful for me. So again, David directs this prayer to God and he says, my heart is not proud or it's not lifted up. The ESV says, my eyes are not raised too high. It's the same sort of idea that my heart and my eyes are not lifted up with pride. And then he clarifies what that means. What does it mean for him to not have his heart lifted up or to be proud? He says, I do not concern myself with matters too great or too wonderful for me. You probably don't think about that as being proud or prideful. Whenever you think about being proud, you probably think about looking down on others, thinking of yourself better than others, right? Putting others down, seeing them as beneath you. But here David clarifies, my heart is not lifted up. It's not proud. My eyes are not raised too high. And he clarifies what he means. I do not concern myself with things that are too great or too marvelous for me. A man who is probably the most powerful person in the entire nation admits that there are some things that are far beyond his limits that are too great for him. He speaks this in humility. He admits that there are some things that are beyond him. In other words, David embraces his limits. He's able to find rest as a result of it. Now, this is really rare for us these days to admit that there are some things that are beyond you, right? Especially on social media where everybody has an opinion. I don't really post much on Twitter. Um, I don't I don't all even have the typical pastor Twitter bio, which is like, you know, Christian husband and goes through all of your relationships. And, you know, I'm really snarky. I, I just said that I'm here for the expert opinions, which everybody is an expert on Twitter. We feel like we've got to, we got to chime in with our expert opinion no matter what it is, right? To, to say that there are things that are, might be beyond our understanding or might be beyond us that we might not fully understand is rare these days. We feel like we've got to show that we're an expert in everything. Well, David here says, well, there are things, as a king, he's probably saying this, there are some things that are just beyond me. But when you're experiencing restlessness today, it's probably not because of some hotly debated topic. No, your restlessness is probably due to other things that are outside of your control, that are beyond you, too great for you, but maybe you're not willing to admit it. Some of you have heard me quote Zach Eswine before, where he talks about what's known as the, the communicable and incommunicable attributes of God. He writes this in his book, Sensing Jesus. The communicable attributes of God are the attributes of God that we share with God. We are rational. We're the only rational creatures on earth, right? We're the only ones who are aware of that we're going to die one day. Nobody else is aware. No other creature on earth is aware of their impending death or their inevitable death or demise. We're the only ones who have the capacity for meaning and to make meaning. We're loving. We're rational. We're moral creatures, right? In many ways, we reflect God in this, or we, we reflect God, and these are known as the communicable attributes of God. 
But then there are those attributes that we do not share with God. He's all-knowing. He's all-powerful. He's everywhere. And Eswine argues that most of our restlessness is a result of trying to be like God in ways that were never intended for us. So think about that right now. If you think about your restlessness and you try to locate what is the source of my anxiety, what is the source of my restlessness, it may be that you are trying to be like God in ways that you were never intended. You're restless because you don't know what the future holds. You wish you could go into the future and you know how it's going to work out. But you're not. You you don't even know what's going to happen five minutes from now, 24 hours from now. And much of your restlessness and anxiety is grieving over the fact that you're human, that you're limited, that there are things that are far beyond here. Or maybe you're restless because you're not all-powerful. If you had your will, you would bend people and circumstances to your will. I wish I could snap my fingers and make people the way that I want. Or I wish I could snap my fingers and make circumstances the way that I want, but I can't. And a lot of my restlessness is my grief over the fact that I am not God. That I do not have that power. Or some of you, that you're not everywhere. Especially if you've got loved ones who are far, far from you right now. Maybe they're sick or they're in a situation or season of life where you wish you could be there for them, but you're not. You're here. You're, you're spatial. You're not like God who could be everywhere simultaneously. You're grieving over the fact that you're not everywhere. And Eswine concludes that you don't have to apologize for not knowing the future. Why do you think you, you, you ought to know that? You don't have to apologize or repent for not being all-knowing or all-powerful or everywhere. In fact, you may need to repent for trying to be, for not admitting that you're not God. So when you think about it, if if there's a way to restlessness, if we're letting this psalm speak to us, maybe it's to join David here in this chorus where they would sing on their way to Jerusalem, My heart is not lifted up. My eyes are not raised too high. I do not concern myself with things that are beyond me. A few years ago, I got a call from someone in our church at the time, the church I was pastoring then. And uh, it was a member of the church who called and said, uh, my roommate, whom I had never met before, my roommate has a friend who is sick in the hospital She's got cancer, and it doesn't look very promising. They don't have anybody that's around them that could go and maybe pray with them. And I, I know you don't know them, but would you mind just going and seeing my roommate and her friend in the hospital? And I said, yeah, sure. I mean, I, I, of course, I, I'll go. So I jumped in an Uber, uh, went to the hospital, and on the way I'm thinking, I feel so much pressure. One, I don't know who they are. I've never met them before. It was really strange. We were sitting in the waiting room, and I didn't know it was them, and they didn't know it was me. And we were all just waiting for each other in the waiting room (laughs) until we got a text from the person in the church saying that, you know, we were there. I didn't know who they were. What do you say in that situation? Are, are they believing for a miracle or are they not? If I start praying and asking God to heal them, am I asking to, like, am I asking them to stretch their faith in a place where they don't really want to be there? So there's a lot that I don't know. And of course, I don't have the power to bring any sort of healing, right? And so I'm feeling this anxiety. I'm feeling this pressure, this restlessness. And in the midst of all of this, I have this annoying 
piece of chicken in my teeth. That, I, that I'm struggling to get out of my teeth and I'm, I'm trying to wrestle it into submission with my, my, my tongue. And I'm in the middle of that. Just hear me out here. I felt like it was God speaking to me. That here I am, like feeling anxiety because I'm not all-knowing. I'm not all-powerful. And I'm, I can't even get a piece of chicken out of my teeth. It was a way of saying, look, you, you're a human being, right? You're spatial. You're limited. Like, why are you grieving that you're not all-knowing? Why are you grieving that you don't have the power and you've actually got to rely upon me? Maybe God was showing you some of that today. Maybe he was showing you some of your own humanity this morning. If you had to jump on a train and it was late. Right? You couldn't show up on time. Or maybe you couldn't bend people in circumstances to your will. Or maybe you weren't all-knowing and in some way God was reminding you of your humanity. How is he calling you to rest by calling you to embrace your limits? That's the first thing we see. The second thing we see here is not only are we embracing our limits, but we're hoping in God. We must embrace our limits. We must hope in God. You think that embracing your limits and just acknowledging that would bring anxiety and it would lead to despair, but that's not what it did for David here. Notice in verse 2 and 3. He writes, But I have calmed and quieted myself. I am like a, a weaned child with its mother. Like a weaned child, I am content. Israel, put your hope in the Lord both now and and forevermore. So this may be speculative, but I can only imagine if David was ever on his way to Jerusalem witnessing this, the inspiration for this psalm. I wonder if he ever saw a mother with her child making this pilgrimage with him and saw this child restless and frantic, but in the embrace of that mother, just saw that child become calm and quiet. And maybe I wonder if he ever saw, wow, that's what it feels like when I'm at rest in the presence of God. You see, David, it wasn't enough for him to know that there are things that are beyond his limits. He also, like he tells us here, had to hope in the Lord. What makes him quiet and calm his soul is not just embracing his limits. If we do that, that just brings us to despair. Oh, I'm not all-knowing. I don't know what's going to happen. I don't have the power to change my future or change people and circumstances. If we stop there, it's restlessness. What brings us into the calm and quietness of heart that David experiences here is hoping in the Lord. To find rest, you must also believe that though you are not all-knowing, God is. Though you're not all-powerful, God is. Though you're not everywhere, God is, and that is enough. For all these things that are beyond you, too great and too marvelous, it's coming to grips with the fact that it's not too great and it's not beyond God. So let me just pause again right there. You thought about the thing that makes you restless, the, the parts of your heart that grieves that you're not God. What if you just stopped right here and acknowledged that He is? He knows. He's everywhere. The places you cannot be, 
And he is strong enough for the things that are beyond you. It says like a weaned child. I mean, if you don't have children or if you've ever been around children, you know oftentimes parents recognize they get to discern what a cry of a child is like. And in the very beginning, they're just trying to figure it out. The cry of a child in the very beginning, it's a cry of survival, right? Every time they need to be changed or every time they, um, they're hungry, they think they're going to die and they let you know. But a weaned child is a child that knows how to be in the presence of her mother without being frantic for milk doesn't fear that she won't have enough anymore. She can finally be at rest in the presence of her mother. You can find that kind of rest today too. What, it's like David knows the journey of going from being frantic, worrying, will he have enough? Will he know enough? Will everything work out all right? To being in the presence of God and saying, well, God knows. I can calm and quiet my soul because that's enough. Some of you may say, well, all right, fine, Jason, but what am I supposed to do? Just be inactive? Just say, all right, God's got it. I don't know, but God knows, or I'm not all powerful, but God isn't just then do nothing? Well, no. See, trusting in God's sovereignty doesn't lead to passivity, right? That's at least the rationale for Jesus when he tells his disciples in the end of the Gospel of Matthew. He says, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me, That's his sovereignty. Therefore, go. That's activity. Go and live and move. Do what you have to do, but know that it's my authority. Rest in that, my sovereignty. A few days ago, there were two other pastors and I that met right here in Cafe Latte upstairs. We were met at around like 8 a.m. And the purpose, these pastors who were from Philly, were to brainstorm together of how we can create a curriculum to train South Asian church planters. They're from an organization called the Advance Initiative that wants to see a movement of churches planted by or among Indian people. So we were gathered together Thursday morning to discuss how can we inspire and catalyze this by creating a a cohort and a curriculum. Now, that morning, I realized, well, or actually a few days before, we don't have a building. (laughs) We have nowhere to meet. And they wanted to bring like a, a whiteboard and to write stuff out. And I think initially we went to Sugar Hill Cafe, but then it's going to be awkward because we needed space. Um, we didn't have a, a place to meet. They're from Philly. They didn't anticipate parking. So they, we, it was late because they were looping around looking for parking. And this place, we don't have, we didn't have internet. <laughs> like, and so that was going to be a problem. And it was just trying to figure all that stuff out. But what did we do? Right before we prayed, We acknowledge, wow, this is a really ambitious thing we want to do. We want to see a movement of churches planted in one of the most populous countries in the world. We want to see one of the most unreached places in the world thrive with churches. This is an ambitious work that we are undertaking. And yet, we don't have a building. We don't have internet. We didn't have coffee that morning. And we had nowhere to gather. So did that make us retreat from that? No. We pursued it with an awareness of our limits and with hope in God. We said, God, we we are confronted with all of our limitations today. But we are moving into this knowing that you are able. Our hope is not upon ourselves, our creativity, who we are, our ability. Our hope 
is new. And just as the people who would sing this would remember their redemption from slavery in Egypt, and that would become the basis of such a song. So when we reflect upon this, the basis of our singing, of our hope, is our redemption in Jesus Christ. Was He not enough for us when we confronted our limits? Was He not enough for us in our most powerless state? Was He not enough for us to save us when we could not save ourselves? Was it not His wisdom and the wisdom of the cross that would reconcile sinful people to a holy God and satisfy the justice of God? Was it not His power to draw near to us when we were incapable of drawing near to Him? We embraced our limits and hoped in God then. Why couldn't we do the same now why can't we do the same now the basis of our song of our hope of our salvation our story is us embracing our limits and coming to discover in the process that God is sufficient for us and the same thing we did then is what we do now I love the energy and the pace of the city, but I do not want the restlessness of the city to begin to, to infect our hearts to a degree where we no longer know how to be a unique people in this place. So let this psalm, wherever you are, be a reminder and a call to embrace our limits and hope in God and therefore experience rest. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for the reminder today that much of our restlessness is not needed. Much of our anxiety is not needed. You know the deep roots of it. For some of us, Lord, we are trying to be like you. Would you show us the ways that we are doing that right now? Would you speak to us? Would you, by the power of your Spirit, lead us to embrace our limits? We pray, God, you would give us faith. You say in your word, Lord, that to each person you give a measure of faith. Or whatever faith you see in my heart and people here, whatever measure you've already given us, we're asking you, God, to increase it. Give us more faith, Lord. Lord, let the fruit of that, the evidence of that, be the peace, Lord, that we have in our hearts. The circumstances may not change. You would take away our restlessness and give us a peace that's rooted in you.